Make sure you're subscribed to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Type The Word of the Lord Endures Forever in your podcast provider. Hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF is a recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod dedicated to translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith into more than 100 languages for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Learn how you can take part in their work at lhfmissions.org. Welcome to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Wheaton. Who doesn't love to hear conversion stories? Who doesn't love to hear how people were turned to Christ? Christians treasure hearing about those brothers and sisters that are part of Jesus' family whom they haven't yet had a chance to meet, but with whom they know they will be spending an eternity. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a daily verse-by-verse Bible study with the church, past and present. Pastor Whedon is leading us in a study of the book of Acts. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Greetings, people loved by God. So, last time we had the wrap-up of the first mission trip. Paul and Barnabas made their way through Pisidia in the mountains, came down to the coast to Perga in Pamphylia. They had passed through rather quickly before, but now they stay in that great city and speak the word of the Lord no doubt following their pattern of starting with the Jewish synagogue, then moving outward to the Gentiles. After they had done that, they make their way down to the coast, to Italia, and they set sail from there back to Syria. We noted in passing that for some unknown reason, they did not choose to retrace their steps through Cyprus. Landing at Seleucia, they make their way up to Antioch, where they had originally been commended to the grace of God for carrying out the work which they now had fulfilled. And here we learn another apostolic pattern. There's always the joy of the report back to the senders about how the mission itself had gone. So they gathered the church together, and they didn't talk about what they had done, but about what God had done through them, and especially how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. That is, opening their hearts to hear, believe, and accept the message Paul brought them of the Savior. They stayed there in Antioch for some while. A reading from Acts, the 15th chapter, beginning at the first verse. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary 
to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Acts 15, verses 1 through 5. Let us pray. Lord God, bless your word wherever it is proclaimed. Make it a word of power and peace to convert those not yet your own and to confirm those who have come to the saving faith. May your word pass from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip, and from the lip to the life, that, as you have promised, your word may achieve the purpose for which you sent it. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, you ready to meditate upon today's passage? Let's ponder it together. Verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here we learn what will occasion the first council of the church, and it was a doctrinal controversy. The Judaizing Christians were by no means opposed to Gentiles believing in Jesus and being baptized, but they thought that wasn't enough. They also needed to receive circumcision and observe the dictates of the ceremonial law. It's easy to see why they think that, right? I mean, they could point right away to the institution of circumcision in Genesis 17. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. What could be clearer? The Judaizing Christians would insist. God says it right there in Genesis. We are not free to dispense with God's commands. Of course, what they miss is the point Paul would later make to the Colossian Christians. Remember this, Colossians 2? In him, that is in Jesus. Also you, were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. What the eternal covenant of circumcision signified in the old covenant is fulfilled and happens to all people now via baptism into Jesus. We'll come back to that later as we work through this whole controversy. Verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Paul and Barnabas vociferously disagree with these new arrivals from Judea. The gift of Christ is not contingent upon circumcision and the keeping of the Jewish ceremonial laws, or for that matter, any laws at all. 
But when the church in Antioch was unable to come to agreement on this matter, they made the wise choice to send Barnabas and Paul and some others of the congregation up to Jerusalem to consult with the apostles and the elders about the question. In the days before the New Testament was penned, this was like going to the living witnesses of Jesus' teaching and getting the straight scoop right from the horse's mouth, as it were. After the death of those who had heard Jesus' teaching with their own ears, the church would increasingly, in her councils, turn to the writings of those who were eyewitnesses or whose writings were approved by the eyewitnesses. Paul and Barnabas would fall into the latter category. St. Basil the Great in the 4th century shows the way it worked in his time in a letter he once wrote. He said, Therefore, let God-inspired Scripture decide between us, and on whichever side be found doctrines and harmony with the Word of God, in favor of that side will be cast the vote of truth. Verse 3. So, Being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. The journey begins, and as they go along their way, they stop in the various Christian communities that lay on their route, and in each place, they told the story about the conversion of the Gentiles. Those who hear this astounding news rejoice greatly. Place after place. I mean, who doesn't love to hear conversion stories? Who doesn't love to hear how people were turned to Christ? Christians treasure hearing about those brothers and sisters that are part of Jesus' family whom they haven't yet had a chance to meet, but with whom they know they will be spending an eternity. Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them. At last they get to Jerusalem. The church there welcomed, or maybe more literally, they were received by the church and the apostles, which is how the King James puts it. And just as they had done in the various places they had stopped at on the way between Antioch and Jerusalem, so they do in Jerusalem itself. They tell the assembly headed by the apostles and elders, the full scoop on what happened as they traveled, and how whenever the Jews would no longer welcome them, they turned and brought the message of Jesus and his forgiveness to the Gentiles who welcomed it, and they baptized them. And notice again their humility. They do not declare what they had done. They declare what God had done with them. As always, God is out ahead on the church's mission, leading her in the way he wants her to go. Paul and Barnabas knew that it was not in their power to open the door of faith to any human heart, but that God alone does that. As we say in the small catechism, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith in the same way. He calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. Thus, when they describe the conversion of the Gentiles, the apostles know that what they are describing 
is God at work through his word by his Holy Spirit. They're not talking about something they did, but something that God did through their preaching of his word. Verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. As I showed previously, the believers in the Pharisee party could point directly to Genesis as the basis for their insistence. But what they had not fully reckoned with was how big was the gift of Jesus. He is not given if you do X or Y. He's just a gift proclaimed. His atoning death really has wiped out the sins of the whole world, and his perfect keeping of God's law, including his circumcision, is made over to you as your very own when you are baptized into him. There's no need to attempt to tack anything we do onto the finished work of the Savior. Instead, we simply are to believe it by the grace of God the Holy Spirit. And something that Pharisees among those early Christians seem not to have reckoned with yet is that none of them have been able to fulfill the law which they were insisting on for others. And Jesus made that perfectly clear. Remember how he said in John 7:19, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. And on that note, we'll wrap up for today. Next time, though, we will move from the presentation of the disagreement to how the church resolved the matter. Significantly, it was after there was much debate and everyone had had his say that Peter finally stands up. He points to how God chose that through him, the Gentiles in Cornelius' house would first hear and believe the word of God and how God bore witness to their faith by giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit just as he did to the apostles at the beginning. Peter insists it was God himself who wiped out the Jewish-Gentile distinction by clearing their hearts through faith. And so why, Peter wants to know, why now are you putting a yoke on the neck of the Gentile disciples that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? He closes his comment by insisting, we, that is, we Jews, are saved in the exact same way as the Gentiles, only by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It saved us, and it can save them too. Till next time, people loved by God, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a listener-supported program. You can donate by check, make your check payable to The Word Endures, and send it to Box 616, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online contribution at thewordendures.org. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.